Welcome to the Rural Pastor Podcast with your host, Andy Addis, and special guest, Mark Clifton. We plant the seeds in the ground, though the fields have long been brown. But Lord, when will your harvest come in? I'm giving all I've got to give in the place where I've been sent. But will my labor make much difference in the end? Will no one ever know? Sometimes I feel so all alone. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope. That church on the corner of that forgotten little town To a room of empty peers where his love can still be found You may never know of all the seeds you sow But it just takes one willing soul to make him And man, we are praying for that one willing soul. That's you, my friend, the one in ministry, the leader, the rural pastor, the normative-sized church uh, champion. Whatever you're doing right now, this is for you. The Rural Pastor Podcast wants to pour into, partner with, and pat on the back, the rural pastor, because what you're doing is important. And we exist because we want to be that source of encouragement to start a community. We haven't said it in a while. Three things that really mark those who are in rural and normative-sized ministry. It is isolation, low resources and vocational identity issues, and we spend all our time trying to hit those three things so that we can lift you up. And today we're going to talk about something, hopefully, that is going to stir a heart and, and move you in the right direction. Before we get there, my name is Andy Addis, and I am the volunteer rural strategist for the North American Mission Board Replant Team. I'm a practitioner as a pastor of a rural multi-site church in Kansas called Crosspoint, and I'm joined today with... Hey, I'm Mark Clifton. Delighted to be with you and delighted to be with all my rural friends out there. Amen. And your title, because I want people to know exactly what oh, you do. I'm, it's a long I, one. I am, I, am, I am the grand hoopah. <laughs> I am the, I don't know. He's wearing I, the Shriners hat I, right now. <laughs> uh, I'm the Yoda, is what. No, I... I uh, <laughs> Executive Director of Revitalization, Replanting, and Rural Ministry. Okay. It used to be Senior Director. Now you're the Executive Yeah, I know director. what that means. I went, into work, I went on work day, our work thing at, at work, and uh, uh, in January of this year, they changed my title to Executive Director. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's because they wanted to take the senior out. They thought it was I think a little so. ages. Well, I, I think I think because once I got as old looking as I was, they thought like it's, it's the senior adult department. So they took that. All took, right. And we need to have someday. We need to have a whole a whole program on quit calling your senior adult groups by stupid names. I'm just saying. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. The, fall, gotcha. the, the autumn leaves, the the teenagers, the young at heart, the live, laugh, and learn club. Because you know, frankly, yeah. people in their sixties and seventies, um, you know, Jill and I, we were. We'll get to the podcast. So yeah, yeah. Hang on, You're Jill good. and I were looking for a church. I don't know, a few years ago, but when I left Warnell before before I, I got to Linwood, and we thought, oh, we'll find a church. Maybe you know, went to this. I loved it. It was, it was this great, great church. Everything. This this maybe we ought to be. And then they have this big video thing comes up, and they're advertising their senior adult group, and there was mm-hmm. something like the the youngs at heart, or it was even a weird, weirder name than that, some stupid name. I'm sorry, but it was. It's like you know the teenagers, and and we're gonna get on a bus, and we're gonna go look at the fall leaves, and I'm thinking. And if that's if you're 55 and above, I'm thinking, dude, I, I, 
I'm, I don't need that. I want, right. I want to serve. I want to Amen. work. You don't need to stick me on a bus like I'm some 12-year-old. I mean, you, you know, you don't have to treat me like a child. And so I really think sometimes we've got to rethink senior adult ministry, especially as hundreds of thousands of, of baby boomers become senior adults. They, we're, we, they're, they're a workforce, man. They need to be discipled. They don't need to be coddled and ear. And, and those names, okay, I'm done. We'll no, talk no, about it later. No, yeah, I, I'm going to send you a book. Uh, and anybody else who wants it, I can get you a connection. I can't send everybody this book. But uh, my mentor is, uh, one of my mentors is a guy named Chuck Stecker, and he runs A Chosen Generation. Uh, and he did a compilation book for more than 40 different authors. Uh, I, my wife, and my oldest son are each have a chapter in this. And it's, all, it's called There Is No Baton, meaning if you're a senior, don't you hand yeah. off that baton. Yeah. We need you in yeah. ministry. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, it's part of that intergenerational motif. Completely believe that. We're, we, don't, we shouldn't babysit teenagers. We shouldn't babysit senior adults. Everybody's got a place in right. the kingdom. Now, you, know, you can have fellowship for them, like sure. you would any group. Sure, sure. But, I mean, you begin to coddle them and babysit them. No wonder they act sometimes like they're entitled. Oh, man. Yeah, we do need to do a whole series right, we'll on that. Because we just stirred the pot, and we're going to let it boil now. <laughs> Okay, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, we want to focus on heart renewal. We want to talk about what's going on inside the leader. Because no matter what's going we try and fix everything on the outside, and there's something on the inside that's broke. You know, Jesus talked about those guys. They, they look pretty good, but they're whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. And we want to have, uh, we want to have a look on the inside. And we're going to spend a few weeks going through Psalm 51, which we'll give the background in just a minute, but using that as a platform to talk about how do we as leaders experience renewal, revival in our heart. So every word we're going to focus on is a, is a word that starts with R-E. It's our R-E series, regarding. Um, and as we do this, the first word is reliance. And uh, when we don't rely on God, it's when we're, when we're not depending on Him. It's when we're depending on ourselves. And that usually leads us to a place of arrogance. So I've got an initial question, uh, and I'll go first, because I know, I know you like it when I, when I don't throw you under the bus. Uh, but what's one of the most arrogant things you've done in ministry? And, uh, and I as I look back, I'm 20 years now in one location, and um, my first five years, I was never out of the pulpit more than two weeks a year. Uh, and and it w- and it was first of all, it was like, no, well, I'm just being faithful. I need to do this. It was prideful. It was no, they need me, and I am the only one who can do this. And and it got to a place where it became uh, an issue of my me thinking I'm picking up this church and going to carry them across the goal line. It was very prideful and very arrogant of me, and it showed a lack of dependence on God. And I look back on that, and now uh, I'm I'm only in the pulpit, um, I think, 38 times this year, which I think is a, a... I know many people are going, that's a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a blessing. Oh, man, I have so many... Um... I'm 63 years old. I would not have liked my 33-year-old self um, uh, or my 23-year-old self. I, I had a real battle with arrogance in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, had, I had the opportunity to, to preach at the uh, Kansas-Nebraska convention this year, and I used to work for the Kansas-Nebraska convention. I was a state missions leader from 90 to 2000, hmm. and so I was uh, 30 years old when I went there, and uh, most of the people on staff were, were much older, and um, I was abrasive, I was full of myself, uh, I knew more than anybody else knew, there wasn't anything anybody did that I couldn't figure out how to do it better, if I walked into a meeting room, I could rearrange it, because it'd be better if the chairs were set up this way, <laughs> 
I don't have anybody put up with me. I really don't. And 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 Peck just the exec. He he Peck he, Lindsay. he mentored me yeah. and, and and guided me and sometimes really instruct and really he would call me down sometimes and and but he worked through me. Well, long story short, God's done a work on my heart and my life through a lot of things. And I, and I pray I'm a more humble, gentle servant than I ever used to be. But when I had the chance to preach it at the uh, at the convention. You mean you were there? I mean, I I basically got up and repented to everybody and said, you know, man, I I was not that great of a person in those days, and I you all put up with a lot of stuff you shouldn't have put up with, a lot of arrogance, and I apologize and just I just repent of that, and 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 it felt really good to do that. Um, I just I just thought that I was, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You know, all I've I've always started businesses. I've always been very creative. I love to be creative. I live to be creative. So if you're a very creative entrepreneur and you get put into a bureaucratic system, it does drive you nuts. Mm. Especially if you're 30 and they're all 50, right? Right. And you go, this is a stupid way to do this. You, no one's going to listen to this. We need to do it this way. So I was doing all that kind of stuff, and um, and I was arrogant and. Uh, I didn't stop to think about what they had gone through, what they might know. And also, a lot of times, honestly, I just wanted to prove myself to them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that was just insecurity. I wanted to prove my worth by doing things better than anybody else could do them. Showing your value Sh- instead of letting God you. reveal your value. Absolutely. You know, um, we, we, you talk a lot about the Apostle Paul in the last few weeks, and, and I agree. And I think one of the things that we see is there's a maturity in him, and uh, that maturity is where that displayed. It, it, they went back and dated his letters and how he described himself. In his early letter, he says, I am an apostle picked by Jesus Christ chief, right? I'm that guy. Later, about 10 years later, he said, I am one of the apostles, Mm. but one of the least Mm. of the apostles. Mm. And then in his very last letter, he said, I am the chief amongst sinners. Mm. So as he grew and matured, he became more dependent on him. And I believe a sign of dependence on God is humility amongst others. Oh, I do too. I, I, some of you may or may not know Damon Horton, D.A. Horton is, is, he's out in California now, teaches at California Bible College, but, um, California, Baptist College, I should say, but uh, Damon was a was an urban core church planter, and uh, I used to work with him. In fact, we ordained him. Our church ordained him. Incredibly, I mean, theologically deep and rich young man for his age, and so in our ordination council, we we would go out the evening before the ordination service, and we would we would have deep questioning. And I had a guy on the ordination council that was, I mean, theologically, I mean, Jonathan Edwards, and he would have been. In peers, he was brilliant, and he always asked this question to all of our our candidates for ordination, and none of them got it right because it's a I wouldn't have gotten it right, and he basically said, um, in terms of the darkness of your heart, is your heart darker now or uh, before you came to know Christ? I I would have said now, before I came to know Christ. I mean, I Christ cleaned my heart up. The only one that answered that question appropriately was young Damon. He said, oh, it's darker now, Hmm. because then I didn't know Jesus, and sin was just a way of life. But now that I've been redeemed and I sin, that's a darkness. And I think that's, you know, that's maturity. maturity. And Mm -hmm. that's what that is. You know, when you you sin before you know Christ, I mean, you don't know it's dark. Now when you sin, you know it's dark. Amen. So that, that was what he was well, saying. Well, and I believe maturity happens to all of us at, at, to some degrees, but we can embrace it ahead of time. So I would like to encourage you, if if, if humility is a mark of dependence, therefore uh, arrogance is a mark of non-dependence, um, you, you're not going to know that. 
you're going to be the last one to know if you're <laughs> if you're arrogant and if you're prideful. So let's just do this. Let's just everybody assume we're prideful. We are. We are prideful. Yeah, but but let's just assume right, right that that as we look at this, that, that we're not talking about a pastor down the road, or we're not talking about somebody with a bigger podcast, or right. whatever. Right, we're just, right, we're right, talking right. about us. Okay. And as we do, before we get into just two verses of Psalm fifty-one, let me just say this: I believe that our dependence, that revival tarries because we misplace our dependence. Uh, revival in our heart, revival in our churches, when we depend on other things. And here are some signs of incorrect dependence. When you say, if we just had, and then any of these, here's the first one, money. If we had money as a church, then everything would be different. And that shows that your dependence is not on him, but on money. Money. If we just had young people. If we just had, I say crowds. crowds. So yeah, if we do, you say specifically young yeah. people. Yeah, a lot of people say, if we just had some young people. Our church doesn't, we, I hear that all the time. We don't have any young people. If we just had young people, and so that is now young people are important, mm-hmm. but that that's not the Holy Spirit. That, that's not the. Anyway, but if we just if we had money, if we had young people, what else? Bible doesn't say go and you reach young people. No, just right. go make right. disciples. Uh, if we just had more of a gift or a talent in mm-hmm. the church, if we had somebody who could sing, or if we had, uh, and and they pick whatever that is, um, or if we just had more energy. Uh, yes. In the we need momentum. We need, this. or if we had a different community. Ooh. I hear all the time. Man, our community, it's you know, it's not growing. It's dying. People are moving away. You know, or or it's changing, or you know, whatever. The community doesn't really relate to us. We don't relate. If I was in a, if we were in a different place, if we had a different community around, or if we had a different program, you know, if we could just do this, X, Y, Z, or a playground, or a building. What I'm getting at is, if you use the phrase, if we just had then you're probably depending on something other than what we're getting ready to see David depend on here. So Psalm uh, 51 is a great psalm. In the little header, in the title of it, it says that this is um, David's response to Nathan. And my son is not Nathaniel. My youngest son is not Nathaniel. He is Nathan because I wanted him named after this prophet. He's the guy who, when David... He jacked everything up with Bathsheba, and he was a conspirator to the murder of her husband, and and he was an adulterer and all this. Nathan is the one who asked him the question, you know, if a guy did X, Y, and Z, David said, well, that guy should be punished. Mm -hmm. He sticks a finger in his face and says, David, King David, you are the man. Now, if you're a king, you could have David killed, Mm -hmm. or you could have Nathan killed, or you could ignore him, or you could laugh him off. But instead... Psalm 51 is his response. And over the next few weeks, we're going to do the whole thing, but let me read verses 1 and 2 for us. David responds by saying this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So for us to be dependent, for us to experience revival, the first thing in an act of humility is that we need to learn to rely on Him. And I believe the first thing that we have to do is we have to come broken. That there is nobody kicking open the doors of the throne room of grace going, boom, I have arrived, that's going to receive the blessing that they need. That there has to come a brokenness in that. And confession is the triage of the healed soul. Right. right. We we have to confess to God and we have to confess to one another. And so brokenness. In your experience, you talk about being an arrogant young man. I talk about me thinking I'm the only one who can preach. I mean, we've all been there. You have to come to a place where you're broken and that brokenness kind of wounds you. Oh, and wounds that wound, you. woundedness is where God can oh, start wounds to work. Oh, wounds you big time. And I've, I've got a lot of wounds. And um, I had one event that particularly happened that... that deeply wounded me and I, I went to see a, a trusted friend um 
and I just broke down and shared all that with him. And I'll never forget, um, I'll tell you where it was. It was up on top of a billboard on I-35 outside of Kansas City. My trusted friend was Dan Hurst. Mm, yeah. um, the voice. The voice. And that time, Dan was uh, the morning announcer on KUDL. Mm. And I forgot what the thing was, but he was doing some kind of a promotion for the station where he was going to camp out. The, the billboard had a ledge on it, right? Right, right? And he had a tent up there, and he was going to camp out on the billboard for, I don't know, three or four days or a week until something happened. I don't remember what it was. But man, my life was falling apart, and he was my dearest friend. And I called Marsha, and she said, well, he's up on top of a billboard. And I said, well, she gave me his number, and I called him up there. And he said, well, come on down here. Come on up. So I drove down there, and I, I climbed up, put on a little safety deal, you know. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting up there on top of that billboard or whatever, and, and all those cars going by, and people honking. And I just broke down and shared my story and what happened to me. And I'll never forget, he said, Mark, he said, you know, Jacob wrestled with, with the angel all night, hmm. and he uh, dislocated his hip. God, God, limp, God dislocated his hip, brought pain to him and discomfort and, and injury. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp, but for the rest of his life, he walked with God. And he said um, he was a different man after that. Mm. He said, you're going to walk with a limp from this for the rest of your life, but you're going to walk differently because you're walking with God. And he was absolutely right. Mm. And if it takes God dislocating a hip, so to speak, to make you walk with a limp, it's the most wonderful thing you could ever experience. The limp is the reminder. It is the reminder, the yeah. constant reminder. Yeah. And and if we're right here, if brokenness is where it begins, if we have to be broken, I mean, we live in a Christian culture. It's like, no, it's confidence. It's the me generation. It is, you got power, you got authority. You are all that in a bag of chips. I don't even know if kids are saying that anymore. Uh, but but you, but you are all this. Then that is the, the exact opposite of what David is portraying here. He begins with brokenness. I made the statement, confession is the triage of a healed soul. And uh, the reality is that uh, confession, amalageo uh, in the Greek, it doesn't mean to reveal anything. You've never confessed anything to God where he's been like, oh, what? Right? It, it means to come into agreement with. It's where you finally agree with him, and you just can't outgrace God. There's nothing that we can confess that he's not going to meet us with. And the problem is if we don't confess, several years ago we were camping with, uh, you were camping on a billboard, I was camping on the ground in Colorado Springs, <laughs> and... um uh, I, I made the mistake of sitting on a chair. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I'm six foot four and 260 some pounds. And, uh, and I sat on a chair that was weighted for 250. And you know, you, you think that's it. Well, I broke it. Mm-hmm. I broke it. And I, and I didn't want to admit it. And even though it was just my family. So I set it up and I sat in another chair and my son came out that day. Who's much lighter than I am, but he sat down on that chair and that thing just collapsed and poked him in the rib. And he was, and we were all just dying laughing. And, and I told him, I said, man, you got to lose some weight. <laughs> but, but what I had done is I set him up to fail because he was broken just trying to appear. He was sat in a chair that was broken that was trying to appear that it wasn't broken. And you and I in ministry, we are broken. You said it. We're all broken. And unless we admit it, we are an accident waiting to happen. Absolutely. And so David begins, uh, but but with this great convention, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. The second thing is we come broken. The second is, and then we come in need. uh, And this need, this, you know, we have hased love there. And the word for mercy is so great. Uh, It's a plural in this context. If it's a singular, it could be translated womb as a plural. It can be translated bowels. 
This just means that when he is pleading for mercy, he is from the gut. That's deep, deep inside. Really right. powerful. It, and it reminds me of just that story you just told, that the only reason you'd climb up on the top of a billboard and you'd seek out a friend like that mm-hmm. is because it was, it was deep in you that there right. was a need. Right. Uh, and so part of revival, it can't be superficial. It, it can't be just, oh, I just want... Some of us want revival because we want our church to be big and we want to have a successful block. When you actually start to just hurt for the sinfulness of this world, and you are broken, and you feel the need that if God doesn't show up, there's nothing I could do anyway. That's the beginning. We we have to we have to come broken, and then we have to come with that deep seated guttural kind of need. You know, I've been uh, as we do this podcast, I have been preaching and teaching for. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot to say for like three days in a row, but I have, and I'm uh, in different places and locations. So I'm. I'm I'm a, I'm a little um, um, <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm my train of thoughts just going in a hundred different places. Sure, and I'm not. So I'm just going to say something off off the sort of top of my head right here as we look at this. Um, been a lot of talk about Asbury and and that movement. Mm. Been a lot of talk about how some of that has shown up in some other universities and school settings. Um, the Jesus film I haven't seen it yet. Jesus movie Re- Jesus Revolution. A lot of good things said about that. Obviously, the story on which that was based was truly a spiritual awakening in our nation in the 70s. I don't remember where I read it recently, but it just it came on my Twitter feed. I just saw it, and then you know how you scroll, and I, and I couldn't get back to it, but it's man, it's been on my mind. If we want spiritual awakening in our nation, in our land, and in our churches, it will begin when Christians turn away from sin and desire holiness. And when you look at the Twitter feeds and the Facebook feeds and oh. the lifestyle of so many of us who profess to be pastors, and we're, 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 we're critical. And angry. We're angry. Mm-hmm. And also we're in love with the world. Ooh. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to turn... I'm not some sort of a legalistic, you know, dude... I'm not trying to become that, but I I, I look at it and I, I see you know people re- talking about movies and TV shows and I look I do it too I do it too, but man there's nothing godly about that stuff, and, and we spend so much of our time in that and I'm thinking mm. what if what if the multitudes of Christians in North America what if the multitudes of pastors would truly pursue holiness and just get rid of all the other junk in our life and other things we pursue and just pursue him i think then i mean we're crying out for god to send revival and then we sit around and watch tv or or look at our our, our phone or watch hulu or for hours and hours on end mm-hmm. and and kind of get entertained by some of the stuff the world has and then we okay well yeah but now we get back to our bibles no wonder it doesn't come i mean i i, I and so when you look at those young people at asbury it's like day after day after day of repentance and just seeking Him and not not looking at their phones and not trying to see what the latest uh, uh, series of Netflix that they could all watch mm-hmm. and talk about the next day. You know, I, I'm I'm amazed, and I know I'm just going off here, but I'm, well, I'm amazed even when I see you know pastors and other church leaders and other leading Christians sometimes you know talk about the Oscars and the Academy Awards. And I, I know in a sense you know that's part of the culture and you want to be in the marketplace, but like. Really? I mean, you think the Apostle Paul, if he had Twitter, would be making remarks about the halftime show? You think he would at the? You think right. that's where his heart would be? Yep. I, I just, I just sometimes. So I look at this passage and I think, oh, we want revival. Well, I mean, this is the king, and he, he had to completely change his. 
we just don't talk about holiness anymore. We don't it, talk about that. And when we talk about, we want revival. The, I, I believe that every pastor does want revival, but what do you want more? And that's what you're yes, saying. Yes, exactly. Because we say we want these things, but where is the true need? Because we, we talk about so much of what is right, and then we uh, we medicate with what is wrong. Oh, that's true. We, we're addicted to the the gospel of Netflix. We're, we're addicted to the the mission of social media, and and even though we say the right things, you know, the truth is that we're actually you. This is sad. Very often, we're using the gospel platform to find idolic needs being met in Absolutely. other places. Oh, in our that life. is so true. And I'm aware so much of how much television and movies and all that music. All that stuff is just part of who I am, and, and I, I enjoy it, and I like it. And then I go, man, but it's full of profanity. Yeah, it, it's full of people sleeping together that aren't married. It, it's full of it, it's. But yeah, but I like. I mean, how can I like? How can light and darkness? And again, I, I I'm tired. I've been preaching for a long several days. I haven't thought this out. <laughs> I don't want to become a legalist. All right, it's not. I'm not gonna. I don't want to do that. No, let me let me put some language on what I think okay, you're saying me. here. I, what I think you're saying, and what I would agree with 100, percent is that Christians today have used the language of engaging the culture to excuse being immersed in the culture. That is true. We, we say we're engaged with the culture, but what we are is we're actually immersing ourselves in the culture and excusing it, going, no, I'm just trying to reach. I'm trying to be relevant. And uh, th- let's go back to who we talked about last week on the podcast. John? Yeah. Camel hair? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? And right. eating locusts out in the right. desert. Right. An incredibly effective, not connected to the culture. And in the midst yeah. of that, I, I, I posted the other day on, on my Facebook and Twitter feed a, a John, Martin Lloyd-Jones quote, which says that the... Uh, the less the world, the less ready, the less the church looks like the world, the more the church appeals to the world. Oh, I saw that. That was fantastic. The less the church yeah. looks like the world, the more the church appeals to the world. So, yeah. so if we're going to come broken and come in need, we can't uh, we can't lie to ourselves and say no. We're just engaging the culture right. when actually we're being immersed. We need to be immersed in the gospel, immersed in uh, our repentance, immersed in uh, the the word, be, because then we're going to see that we are broken, that we have need. And finally, the last one for this week, to truly experience reliance, we come broken, we come in need, and then we come clean. Yes. We got to come clean. Got to, you know. I say, I don't know who said it the first time. I don't ever heard it, but I, I say it a lot. And you know, one of the greatest things is when you, when you say things like this, and then you hear uh, the the young leaders in your church say the same things, and oh. they begin to use the same phraseology. Yeah. And one of the things I've always said is, you know, man, I want to run to the fountain of repentance. It's a refreshing place. Repentance is not something to avoid. It's something mm. to run to. So not long ago, one of the young men in our church that was leading prayer, he was talking about, we want to run to the fountains of repentance. It's a refreshing place. Yes, it is. It's not something to avoid. It's not something to be ashamed of. Repentance is the wonderful place to go to. It's, It's a refreshing place. It's a beautiful place. It's a glorious place because we come clean when we come through repentance. What a wonderful guy. I got, you know, I... Was, goosebumps. When I was younger, yeah. I, I didn't take good care of my cars and my trucks and stuff like that. But now I I got this pass now. You know, you can get a monthly pass at the car wash, oh, yeah. right? You yeah. know? I wash that thing every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like I it feels so good coming out of that, you know? It's so clean and I shine it down and it's not like, man, I want to avoid the car wash. Like, oh, man, I want to go. And she'll go, how many times are you going to wash this thing? I love it. It looks so clean. You know, I want to run to repentance, man. I don't have a monthly pass at the repentance. I've got an eternal pass <laughs> to be cleansed. So. Okay, somebody just stole that, and they're going to use that this weekend. <laughs> but let me emphasize what you're saying there. In the passage for you Bible study nerds, in uh, verse 2, Psalm 51, verse 2, 
look at the progression that we have here. It says, well, verses one and two, and then you'll see. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So you blot out, you wash, and you cleanse. And then there's three different words for the sins that we have, transgression, iniquity, and sin. And, and he's saying just completely, he, he's saying, I, I don't need I don't need mama with a wet wipe wiping off my face so I look good. I, I don't need a, a quick rinse. I need to be blotted, washed, and cleansed from everything on the inside, outside, and around me. The way that we prepare our hearts for revival is that we become totally reliant. And we do that by being broken, by being in need, and, and coming clean. And uh, I guess the, the last thing to, to, to get here, uh, one of the things that we don't have in our culture, and I don't know whether to pursue it or not, is this a God thing for us now, but public confession, uh, I think there needs to be an amount of, but I we also have a world in which people air things that don't need to be aired. What's your advice to us on well, how th- do we I, embrace confession? You know, I think one of the things that happened at Asbury was public confession. So that was the message that, that started. That was the it, message, yeah. and then people came in and started to confess publicly. Um, I, I, I think in I think public confession, I, I, it's it's just overly simplistic. I think if the sin is known by everybody in the room, then the confession can be known by everybody in the room. I think if the particular sin is not known by everybody in the room, you don't need to give all the details of that. What I think, a great I think, rule. I think, you know, if you've sinned against an individual, confess to them, and then you can tell the whole church, I have done something I'm truly sorry about. I acted in an ungodly Christian way. I've talked so to that good. person. And I don't think you need to—because then it can get into who's got the worst sin, and then we can—you know, it just it stars all that. And you, you can hurt people, and you can, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think the, 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 the sin needs to be as—the confession needs to be as public as the sin. And if you've sinned in front of everybody, you got to confess in front of everybody. Mm. And that, that's how I would word it. Man, I, I just love that. What a great rule of thumb. Thank you for that, Mark. I, I would also say, if you don't know where to begin with this, and you really want to begin a path of reliance, uh, I would take a notebook, a cheap notebook that you can tear the pages out of. Um, and I do this probably a couple times a year. Sit by a fire. If you, if you can't put a fire in the backyard, then go to the park and start up a charcoal grill. <laughs> Uh, whatever you done, and just spend an afternoon uh, praying, asking the Holy Spirit, search me, show me if there's anything in me that is offensive. Write it down, and one by one as you confess, not not the blanket prayers, and those are okay. I mean, if you're falling off a cliff and you got one prayer left, God, forgive me of my sins. Uh, but if but if you have the time, we confess our sins, God, you know, lust or greed or pride. In this specific instance, here's the issue. Write it down, pray about it, burn that thing. And just visually cast those things in there. And the Lord, I believe, will make it clear if there's a next step that needs to be taken. And one last thing. I constantly deal with reliving my sin. Hmm. I, I, I'm not, I don't I only mean recommitting it. <laughs> I, well, they do that too. But I'm, I'm talking about you know sin that I have confessed and repented of. Burn Satan it. continues to bring it back to my mm-hmm. mind. I'll be preaching something, and I'll have this voice in my head that says, you really don't have the right to say this. Mm. You know, it, it's just it. That is a, and I'm thinking one day, one day when I get to heaven, that voice is never going to be there again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never going to have that kind of over my. I always have to be battling that, and saying, "No, I've been redeemed. I've been cleansed." He doesn't remember it anymore. One day, I'm not going to. And those thoughts come from the adversary, and they work highly effectively on us. We just think, yeah, you know, I, I really, you, you repented. You've been forgiven. That's the gloriousness of the gospel. 
and we need the glory of the gospel. We want dependence on him. Reliance on him is the first step to revival. And uh, one of the ways, as you think about confession and getting past some of these things, First or Second Corinthians 12 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, that's what we're looking for. We want to see God move. And if it's if this looks like a hard road, doesn't matter. His grace is sufficient for us. As we get ready to wrap this one up, let's move towards reliance. Come broken, come in need, and come clean. Many blessings to each and every one of you. And we can't thank you enough for being a part of the Rural Pastor Podcast. Like the prophet Jeremiah, you may be the one to go to the dying and the broken with a message of hope to that church on the corner of that forgotten little town to a room of empty pews where his love can still be found you may never know of all seeds you sown but it just takes one willing soul to make him Thank you so much for joining us at the RuralPastorPodcast.com. A special thanks to Chosen Road for this incredible theme music, to 180 Digital, our corporate sponsor, and you can check out both of them at our website as well as other resources because you're not alone. And Rural Pastor, we believe in you at the RuralPastorPodcast.com.